somebody praise him right now. The devil thought he had me. He thought my life was over. He thought that I wouldn't give up. But someone greater, someone greater. Somebody shout Jesus. I said somebody shout Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo. I'm telling someone, it feels, it feels good this morning in the house of the Lord. The enemy is mad this morning. Come on, somebody. Look around you. There's so many guests and visitors in this house this morning. Someone give the Lord a praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My, my, my. Firstly, I'm so thankful to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. If you are a guest or a visitor, you know, you should have received a card to bring you to the VIP room. Please, if you haven't received them, raise your hand. The ushers will make sure to get to you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think everybody got their VIP card. That's good. Anybody thankful to be alive this morning? Oh, just a few of us. I say anybody thankful to be alive this morning. Thank you, Jesus. You are great, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful to, to be serving a living God. Amen. I said a living God. Amen. He's not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I just celebrated five years with my beautiful wife this past week. Amen. We were in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, had some great time. Amen. And the night of our anniversary, I just, I felt deep in my spirit, Brother Eric. I was like, my goodness, I guarantee I'm going to preach Sunday morning. Not Sunday night, but Sunday morning, you know. The next day, First Lady calls me and is like, hey, you know, how are you doing? I've been advocating for you to preach Sunday morning. And I'm like, no, no, First Lady, no. But the Lord has a plan, amen. Amen, somebody. I mean, God is so specific on how he runs things. I said we were in Tennessee and we were flying back to get back home and we had to fly first to North Carolina, I believe, and then, you know, to Florida. And I see this couple in Tennessee and I'm like, man, this, this couple looks familiar, Brother Leon, you know, and I don't know, there's just, there's something wrong with the situation. You can feel that they needed something, Amen. But I'm in Tennessee, so, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, really the closest church. I'm not sure if they're from here. But I told my wife, say, look, if they are on our next flight, I know that I need to speak to them. There's something that God has for them. Amen. And sure enough, we get to our next flight, and they are in our same baggage area. Not baggage area, but our same area where we are supposed to depart onto our next flight. So I walked up to them, and I asked them, hey, are you guys from Fort Myers? And the guy was like, yes, wow, how, how did you know we're, we're from Fort Myers? And I said, well, you looked familiar and you were on my last flight. And um, I just wanted to know, you know, is there any way that I might know you? Because the way that God works with me sometimes, Brother Stewart, he shows people to me as if I've seen them before. As if I've already been there in that situation. As if I've already talked to them before like I know them. And I started to inquire of them, you know, where could I possibly know you? Do you have pest control? Because you know what? I'm a pest control technician. And, 
No, they do not have pest control. So they tell me that they party all the time, but the only partying I do is on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Tuesday night at a rock church. Amen. Hallelujah, somebody. But no, I didn't know them from partying. So instantly the Holy Ghost decided to move, and I started to speak to this woman. And I'm not speaking to... To, to glorify myself, but I'm trying to let somebody know in this house this morning that God is able to reach you wherever you are. Amen. As I was speaking to her, just tears began to flow, and, and you know that she needs the Lord. So if we could all pray for that family. Her name is Melody, and they are in Naples. So if we could pray that God will reach them right now. Let's all stand, church. Jesus. Lord, you are able to do it, God. You are the author and finisher, Jesus. Lord, you know what is going on in this life, God. You know what's going on in their household, Lord. So, Jesus, I'm just asking for you, God, to continue to send laborers, God, people to, to knock on their door, God, people to, to speak to them at the grocery store, God, people that have a burden, God, that hear your voice, God. Your word says that your sheep hear your voice, Lord. So, Lord, send the laborers forth right now, God. We know you are able to do it. Somebody shout in Jesus' name and clap your hands to him right now. I said all that to say is God, he doesn't, he doesn't worry about our agenda, amen? What we need to do and what we need to, what we think we need to do, amen? Hallelujah. Let's all turn to the word of the Lord. Beginning at Colossians 2, I want to so, thank Bishop for allowing me to be here to, to preach. It's something that I do not take for granted. Amen. Declaring the word of the Lord is not something that you should do carelessly or something that you should do just because it might be a cool vocation to have. Amen. But when you preach the word of the Lord, you, you ought to be ready to preach it in season and out of season. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Colossians 2 and 8 reads, beware, somebody say beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. We're going to turn to Matthew 11 and verse 12. It says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. Somebody say violence. And the violent take it by force. And the last bit of scripture we're going to read is Luke 16 and 16. And it says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to talk to us this morning of breach and protocol. Let's all lift our hands to him. Let's lift our voice to our Savior right now. Jesus, Lord, breach my protocol, God. Lord, tell me what I need to do, God. Lord, speak to me, Lord. Help me not be carried away into the day by day, God. But Jesus, help us to get an understanding what we must do with this time, Lord. Your ways are higher, God. Your thoughts are greater, Lord. 
And Jesus, we just need you to be in this service, God. Lord, help us to be hearers and doers of this word, God. Lord, help me to speak the word you have given to me, Jesus. Lord, there's people out there, they're hungry for your truth, God. They're hungry and thirsty after righteousness, Lord. And your word says that they shall be filled, God. So Jesus, have your perfect way in this house. We thank you for your word, for your word is already anointed, God. But Lord, that you anoint our ears, that you anoint our hearts to be hearers and doers of this word. Somebody clap your hands in the fear of the Lord. You may be seated. A breach is an infraction or a violation of a law, obligation, tie, or standard. A breach can also be considered something that is broken, ruptured, or torn, or a torn condition or area. It can also be a gap, as in a wall, made by battering, or to make a gap in by battering, to make a breach. Protocol. This is the system of rules that explain the correct conduct and procedures to be followed in formal situations. It's a code prescribing strict, somebody say strict, strict adherence to correct etiquette and precedence. There has been a protocol in many churches in North America that needs to be addressed. Now before I keep going, I would like to say protocols are not always bad. Protocols can be good and usually are good. Protocols are needed in order to make sure we are all doing the, the same thing and speaking the same thing. As the Bible would, would put it, that we are all in one accord. Amen. The Bible says that they were in one accord on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out. If you need the Holy Ghost this morning, this morning will be the time for you to get the Holy Ghost. If you've never speak, spoken in other tongues, the Lord will fill you this morning. Amen. You need to be repented of your sins, and the Holy Ghost will be able to fall upon you this morning. Maybe you are repented already, but you still don't have the Holy Ghost. It's okay. The promise is for you and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The Lord may be asking for your sins to be washed away this morning. In the name, I said in the precious name of Jesus. Hallelujah. These are good protocols. In order to get the Holy Ghost, you must repent. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you will get filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? But there is an issue when we as humans change the protocol of what the church ought to be. The church, the church needs to be understood. You need to understand what it means to be a part of the church. You need to understand that there are protocols and that these protocols that have changed should not have been changed. Before I continue, I want to get into our own understanding of things. Let us talk about the protocols of the government system. Now, before I continue, I'm not about politics, and nor do I want to, you know, preach politics, but I figure with... We all understand politics and government systems, amen. Originally, it was we the people, 
setting up a constitution so that we will not have a tyrannical government. Amen? We set this up with checks and balances so that the government will not tell us what we can or cannot do. Now, there was a breach in this protocol. Now we have a government telling us what we can and cannot do. Who are essential and who are not essential workers? Who can go to church and when you can go? Who can go to a packed stadium and who cannot? Come on, somebody. Who can go to the bathroom, to a female's bathroom or a male's bathroom, just depending on what the government says? Where we can go if we are vaccinated and where we can't go if we're not vaccinated. This was not our original protocol. Sometime in the middle of America's political system, sometime in history, things changed. Little victories have brought forth great change as we see today. Like I already said, I don't want to talk about politics. But I figured we could get an understanding that things change over time. A little bit here, a little bit there. Without us realizing it until we are at the end and we look back and say, my, 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 how has things changed? The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians to let all things be done decently and in order. I'm emphasizing this before I continue preaching, because I don't want anybody to think that we don't have to do anything decent and in order. But there is something wrong as if we let our fallen nature, fallen human beings decide what needs to be done in church. I said we ought to stand with the word of God. Whatever the word of God says, it must be done. If the word of God says it, we ought to fulfill it. Amen. So there's some protocols that crept its way in the church. For instance, a, a set schedule on what time service will occur. We have preaching from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. And bless God, if the man of God goes two minutes after it, we need to find a new pastor. If you got invited to this church, you might have asked, hey, what time does church start? And we might have told you either 10.30 for pre-service prayer or 11 o'clock for, for worship service. And if you were... To ask, when does church end, Pastor Spalaza? I guarantee you the individual that asked you was, it was difficult for them to tell you. They kind of been, they kind of would have been a little like, um, you know, uh, I'm not too sure. I used to grow up in a church, everything was set schedule. It was like a perfect VBS, down by the minute. Everything was done. But not here in the house of the Lord where the spirit of God moves and has his liberty. Amen. There's protocols of keeping quiet in church and not praising the one who saved you from hellfire and from your own toxic way of thinking and living. There's protocols of if you were to dare shout or scream or yell or, or lift your hands, the ushers may come to you and say, hey, I need you to please quiet down or you're going to have to leave. Protocols of checking off the box and saying we attend a church and never letting the church change us. There were protocols before the time of John the Baptist. Amen. 
The Bible says that since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I never understood what the scripture meant, really. I just, everybody quoted it, so I was like, yeah, violence, force, yes, we're doing things, you know. But what's powerful about this scripture is it's talking about when the people finally understood what great salvation that they had. Amen. If you don't see it, that's okay. You will by the time we're done. This means beforehand the kingdom of heaven wasn't suffering violence before John the Baptist. Was this correct? Was this the right protocol? Should things have been this way? We see in the Old Testament a glimpse of some people violently making their way into heaven. We see the harlot Rahab doing what she needed to do in order for her house to be saved. And ended up being in the will of the Lord. Ended up being in the genealogy of Christ. Amen. We see things such as Ruth breaking protocol where she could have just started life all over again since her husband died and just continued on with her own people. But instead, she said, I am going to, I am going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to make my way in to the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to make my way in to be blessed with the people of God. Is there anybody else in this house this morning that wants to be blessed? They said, you know what, I don't care what hell is doing to me. I don't care what I'm going through. I got to make my way in the house of the Lord. Although there's a few people in the Old Testament, it wasn't considered violent or a breach into the kingdom of heaven. But what is amazing is since John the Baptist was born, that's when the kingdom of heaven started to suffer violence. So somebody would ask me, violence, how is the kingdom of heaven suffering violence? Is the enemy, you know, violently, no, the enemy can't do anything like that. The kingdom of suffering violence because on Luke 16, 16, it says people are pressing into it. They can't get in, but they're going to say, I'm getting in, Lord. I want to get in. I don't care what the protocols and procedures are. I need to get in. I need my blessing. I need my healing. I need my deliverance. People were excited for the things of God whenever John the Baptist was born. Prophecy was coming forth about the Messiah and that he is here on earth. Wise men were shook. Shepherds were shocked. The angels in heaven were manifesting themselves and praising the Lord because King Jesus was born. The anticipation of what God was doing next was shown throughout the true worshipers of Israel. John the Baptist's ministry was to make straight the way of the Lord. And we see from his birth, his miraculous birth, old men and women began to prophesy. Sinners from all walks of life began to seek after this man who spoke of wondrous things from heaven, being baptized of John unto repentance. Such revival was occurring that even the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to visit John. At one point, John the Baptist says, O ye generation of vipers, who hath warned, warned you to flee from this wrath to come? How do you know about this? 
You guys don't really care about the real protocols. You Pharisees have your own protocols. You Sadducees have your own protocols. But he was showing people how to make it to heaven. Arguably the hungriest people to have ever lived up until that point. They were with great anticipation, forcefully making their way into heaven. Asking John, what is it that I need to do? And he told them and they did it. But people weren't excited to hear from the men of God in the Old Testament like they were to hear from John the Baptist, right? There was no aisle running when Moses spoke to the people of God. He told them what needed to be done. Yes, they praised God after they got out the land of Egypt, but they really weren't thinking about heaven. They just were happy that they were secure and not underneath bondage from Pharaoh anymore. I mean, they received word that they would, be, they would be delivered out of Egypt. Ten plagues were sent forth by God Almighty. His power was shown through the destruction of all the firstborn of Egypt. For the first time in all of their lives, they were about to be broken out of bondage of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But when they made their way to the Red Sea, instantly they complained. They started saying Moses wasn't for them, but against them. This same Moses that fought to bring them out of the land of Egypt. They were supposed to have faith, Brother John. They were supposed to see that God did the miraculous before, so therefore he can do it again. I said, God, he made it so that it was dark in the land of Egypt all day, but it wasn't dark where we resided. So he is a miracle worker. If he could do miracles before, he can do it again. When they saw that Red Sea, they should not have been worried. They should have came up with different plans. Maybe God will teleport us. Maybe God will part the Red Sea. Something along those lines. But instead, they didn't have faith. Hallelujah, somebody. That's the problem that we have when we live for God. Sometimes God would do great things for us. I mean, crazy miracles that if you were to tell somebody, they really wouldn't believe it. But you know God did it for you. And when God does those miracles for you, it ought to be like the grain of mustard seed, where at first it's a little bit. He does a little thing. And then you look back and you have faith. If God did it before, maybe he could do a little more. And it keeps growing and growing and growing. Amen, somebody. I said if he could provide for my family when I'm making $10 an hour, he could provide for me to have a house now that I'm making more and more. He brings us from glory to glory. Amen. <laughs> we see Moses goes up into the mount for 40 days and nights. And the children of Israel had no fear of God. To the point they made golden calves in those days and called them Jehovah and worshipped them. When Moses' face was full of glory and was shining and glistening, to the people, the people were mesmerized, but they didn't want to build him a tabernacle like John did when he saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah. They wanted Moses to cover his face. That's a little too much. That's a little too real. We're not really trying to do all those things. I'm not trying to have that great of a revival. I'm not trying to really see people get healed by the Lord. 
just cover your face, Moses. We don't want to see all that. What I'm trying to say is the people of God could have pressed and pressed their way into the kingdom of heaven. They had all the reasons. They had all the miracles they had, but they didn't do it. There was no pressing to the kingdom of God with the prophets of doom and gloom, namely Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. All of these prophesied of the Messiah to come, but the people had no excitement. Like there was when God was on the scene, beginning at the mentioning of John the Baptist. Since then, people were eager to be used of God and pressed to get into the kingdom. We see first Elizabeth and her husband, then Mary and Joseph, and then anyone that encountered Jesus or John himself. So this morning, I'm talking to us about a breach in protocol. The protocol in the Old Testament shouldn't have been that they weren't excited. We read Psalms all the time, telling us to, to lift our voice, telling us to, to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. But we see that the people of God didn't really do that. But Luke 17 and 12 says, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go show thyselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the other nine? Where are the nine? The nine. They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto, them, unto him, arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. They all cried out. They all were healed. The one Samaritan came back after seeing he was healed and loudly glorified God and magnified him. One could assume that the other nine heard him praise God. But they still decided to go on their way to the priests. Jesus emphasized that he was a Samaritan, which maybe the others were Jews. Only the stranger came and magnified him. The protocol was to cry out and receive your healing and never go back and thank the Lord. But this Samaritan with leprosy breached protocol and didn't only get healed but was made whole. Come on, someone. He wasn't only healed but he was made whole. I said God would deliver us from addictions and deliver people from their bondage but their life is still a mess. I've met people not in the truth, get delivered from heroin and many other types of terrible addictions. Praise God that they've been delivered from that bondage. But I don't want just deliverance. I want to be made whole, somebody. The other nine still had the scars of sin, but this leper was made whole. He had no signs of ever being leper, a leper before. He was made whole. He was a new creature. He was a new creation. 
Come on, somebody. But Luke 18, we're going to move on to another familiar passage of Scripture. Luke 18 says, And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. And he cried so much the more, saying, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man that they rebuked, because he was out of protocol. He cried even more. He pressed even more. He preached and said, I don't care what the masses have to say. I don't care what the churches down the street are doing. I don't care if the people in my pew don't want to praise God. But when God has done something for me, or if God can do something for me, Jesus, I am reaching out to you. You see... There was protocols that they put on themselves that wasn't even the real protocols of God. This blind man understood some protocols of the spiritual realm where if he were to just cry out that Jesus would have to do something for him. He didn't care about what his flesh had to say. He didn't care about what his friends had to say. Say, no, 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 we don't do that here at this church he said, you know what, I'm reaching my God. I'm reaching the kingdom of heaven. I am going. What protocol shall we breach today? What protocols is it that we are just allowing ourselves to fall victim to? To where we're not allowing God to move or we're not allowing God to, to show his glory or to show his hand on our lives. What protocols are we allowing our lives to continue to do and not letting God show his blessings among us? Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. Someone clap your hands in the fear of the Lord right now. Jesus. The last portion of scriptures that I want to talk about, musicians, you can come. Luke 7 and 36 says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, somebody say a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet. Behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with, his, with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman that is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answered and said unto them, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Jesus is about to explain to Simon how he done messed up. Where Simon had a breach in protocol and he thought his way was the correct way. And it really wasn't. Verse 44 says, and he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, 
Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. The Pharisee had a breach in, in a protocol. He didn't offer Jesus any water to wash his feet, which was a custom thing to do in all of Israel. The roads of Israel and all of the ancient world was not how we have it today. <laughs> Their cars were animals. And the same roads that the cars drove on, people walked on. So many people walked on the droppings of the multitude of different types of beasts of burden. So before somebody entered your home, it was a custom. It was nice for you to at the very least give them water to wash their feet so that they can wash their feet or if they were maybe a worthy guest, you would wash their feet for them. But if they were even more esteemed, you would do more than just wash their feet for them. You would maybe, you know, greet them with a kiss or anoint their head with oil. Simon didn't do the least of these things. At the very least, he could have gave Jesus some water so that he could wash his own feet. She gave Jesus all that she had. I said she gave Jesus everything. She wept. She washed his feet. She anointed him with the alabaster box, which was really precious and cost a lot of money. They were already judging her anyways. Who cares if they judge her while she gave all to the Lord? Amen. 40, verse 45 says, Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman... Since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Again, it was a custom for to greet somebody with a kiss, similar to us shaking hands or giving a hug to somebody. Simon didn't even do this to Jesus. Verse 46 says, My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. The Pharisees wanted Jesus at his house, but he really didn't want Jesus in his home. I said the Pharisee wanted Jesus in his house, but he did not want Jesus in his home. The Pharisee wanted his house to look like he was a Christian, but deep down he wanted to do, he did not want to do the dirty work of being a Christian. We could all stand in this house. It's a dirty job being a Christian. You got to love your enemies. You have to turn the other cheek. You have to push past your flesh time and time again and give God the praise that he deserves. He had wall decorations on his house, Simon, that's quoted things from the Bible, such as in his front door, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Everything looked right in the Pharisee's home. He walked in and you could see that he was a Christian. I mean, he wanted Jesus in his house. But he wasn't forcing himself into the kingdom of heaven. He invited Jesus in, but didn't really care 
if he really stayed or gave him the respect that he needed. <laughs> but she forcefully made herself known. This wasn't even her house. She heard that he was there and she said, you know what, I'm going to break in. I'm going to, I'm going to give praise to my God. I'm going to go give him praise that he so deserves. Her praise was that of Jesus couldn't resist. What's crazy is this Pharisee asked for Jesus to come and eat with him. But he didn't really appreciate his company as the woman with the alabaster box did. Later on in the verse, he says, her faith made her whole. Her faith was violent, which caused Jesus to respond in her liking. Whereas Simon the Pharisee didn't really, call, didn't really cause Jesus to respond in any way toward him. She breached protocol. The kingdom of heaven is suffering violence, and the violent take it by force. Are you going to be violent with your salvation? Are we going to be violent this morning and say, God, I need you, Lord. There's things going on in my family, God. There's things going on in my marriage, Lord. And I'm not going to just do protocol today, but Jesus, I'm crying out to you. I need you, Lord. Come on, somebody. There's been protocols that have been set forth to where we just decide to come to church and be spectators or we just come to church and, and we think we should do things our own way or what we've been taught before, but whatever thus saith the Lord is what we must do. It was protocol to believe that there is one God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Ephesians 4 and 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Isaiah 43 and 11 says, I, even I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. But somewhere down the road, the enemy and fallen humanity decided to breach protocol and bring forth their own idea of their own God, of a trinity, or their own idea of baptism, where we know we must be baptized in the name of Jesus, for that is the right protocol. But there's been a breach where the Roman Catholic Church decided to change it from in the name of Jesus to in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. There was a breach of protocol. Simon didn't care much about giving water. And she didn't just step aside and only gave Jesus water. But she went out her way to give all that she had. I'm telling somebody this morning that you ought to do everything you must do to obey the word of God. If someone's telling you there's three gods, you ought to shout to the rooftop. There's only one God. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus. Come on, somebody. I, I don't want to live based off what this world has to say. I don't want to live based off of what the traditions of my church had to say. I don't want to live based off of the traditions of, of my family and, and what a person has to say. But whatever the Bible says, I want to do it. Come on, somebody. Let's all lift your hands right now to him. Jesus. Lord, you are able, God. Lord, that you would change us, God. Lord, I don't want, I don't want 80% of what you have for me, God. I don't want 80% of what this Bible says, God. Lord, I want all of it. 
God, I'm not satisfied with 99 and a half, God. I want all of it, Lord. I want it all. I need it all. I'm going for it all, Jesus. If that means I need to step up my prayer, God, I will do it. If that, need, if that means I need to step up my worship, God, you have my worship. If it means, God, that I need to go out my way and get out of my comfort zone and reach the lost, Lord, I'm going to do it. Lord, there's only one gospel, and there's, there's a dark world out there that needs to be saved, God. And Lord, help me to show them. Help me to show them. Lord, to violently make my way into this kingdom, God. Oh, come on, somebody. There's no time for peacetime Pentecost. But Jesus, I need you. I need you, God. Oh, come on, somebody. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something, but, but us just standing there, us just allowing God to, to pass by. That's not his will for your life.